kids are capable and, and that's our biggest message we also talk about the fact that you know learning to be and learning to do are so much more necessary and relevant and enriching than learning to know school has always just been learning to know at this point i can grab siri i can yell to my alexa i can jump on google i can find out information What's more important, though, is what do I do with that information? Can I transform that information? Can I incorporate that? Can I decide between good information and bad information? Can I combine it with something else that I know and figure out a way to provide value and look ahead and that growth mindset, right? So learning to be, learning to do, vastly more important than learning to know. As a young mother, I experienced a paradigm shift that transformed how I saw education and ultimately the world around me. I started this podcast, The Luminous Mind, to connect with and learn from people who are disrupting the status quo in how they learn, educate, and live in the world around them. Prepare for a paradigm shift. Light a candle, light your world. Benjamin Franklin said, instead of cursing the darkness, light a candle. You're listening to The Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's Firestarter is Matt Baudreau. Matt is the founder of Acton Academy Placer, multiple California locations, encouraging hundreds of young heroes to find their calling. He is a multiple-time TEDx speaker, as well as a keynote speaker and consultant to Fortune 500 companies around the world. Welcome, Matt. Hello, Rebecca. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so excited to have you be part of the Luminous Mind podcast. We talked about in your bio, your education background, how you're a keynote speaker, that you're a consultant, but why don't you give us background information or a little bit more about yourself and who you are? Sure. So yeah, I mean, I'll start with obviously what's what's uh, kind of most recent, I guess. For uh, I've been in education for been in education forever. When I say been in education, I've worked as a public school teacher, public school administrator, private school teacher, private school administrator, all the way from kindergarten up through you know uh, up through high school, and I've also worked uh, in the higher ed fields as well, both with uh, in terms of working at campuses. So I worked at Stanford University for quite a while, but I've also worked with. Uh, schools and school districts uh, around the country for for many years. So being in education has you know uh, kind of taken on all those roles. Most recently, I founded and opened my own school here in Northern California. So we're just wrapping up our third year of existence here, and uh, we're we just bought another campus. So we're going to be opening campus two uh, in about a year as well, and and putting together a virtual program. So still very active, obviously on the on the education side there, but um, about five six years ago my work in education and speaking in education uh, kind of dovetailed to where I started getting requests to speak at Fortune 500s as well. And so uh, really the last five or six years, I've been traveling around the world and uh, giving between 50 to 60 keynotes a, a oh year. God. Yeah. While, uh, you know, while also operating the school too. So, you know, I tell people I have, I have not been hurting for something to do uh, for a very long time. And, and, uh, you know, I really haven't had a full day off in probably five years either, but I'm one of those weird people that kind of likes it that way. And as long as, as long as my wife and kids are, are still good and we've also got a good relationship, then, um, you know, everything's, everything's good. So basically just out to conquer the world. That's about it. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, exactly. Well, yep. that's awesome. So you said you like done work at Stanford and stuff. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's I awesome. started, so yeah, there was actually a period of time where I was there, my wife was there and both of her parents were there. We were all working in different parts of the university, but um, that was really what, you know, being there really kind of kickstarted my interest in in both speaking and in education. So um, it was a great place to be. And, and if the Bay Area wasn't so dang expensive for a young buck and his and his future bride, then we, you know, we may have stayed there. But I'm thankful for that piece of the journey and where it propelled us later. So that's awesome. Well, I'd love to know more background information, you know, of how, you know, you went from maybe our traditional type education stuff to finally getting to a place to founding your own academy as well as why are you asked to be a keynote speaker at all these fortune 500 companies 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I did the traditional thing growing up too, right? So I was a traditional school student and, but, you know, I learned very early on. I, I legitimately remember at four years old figuring out that school was a game. I, I completely mm-hmm. remember the day, you know, and I, I'm like, wait, this is a game kind of thing. And okay, I can figure out how to play this game. And, and I did, I played it very well. I was the straight A student all throughout school, but I remember coming out of high school going, cool, I, I got my straight A's, but really, you know, a little bit of, of self-reflection. I'm good at sports and, and, you know, I got, I'm good at making friends and uh, I'm fine talking to girls. That's really all I have to offer the world. Like, what am I going <laughs> to, what am I going to do? You know? So that's like, I guess I'll go to college. And so I go to college and it was really the same story, man. I, I figured out the game. I learned how to get my grades, but I came out going, look, I, I have nothing to offer the world. I don't really know who I am. Like, what's my superpower? What am I going to do? You know? So I always kind of had that background. And so, you know, I, I was lucky enough to to kind of fall into um, just by by perpetually moving forward, fall into what it is that I that I now realize is really my strength, my superpower, and what I've been created to do. Right. And so, what you asked was kind of how did that work, fortune, you know, kind of fortune five hundred wise. Well, as I got into teaching, I, I remembered kind of my own story, and I'm sitting there going, man, this is this was what I was doing was playing this game, but I didn't really have, you know, I almost look back at those years as sort of wasted. So what did I wanted to do as a teacher was to not waste the time of, of my students. You know, I wanted to truly impact their lives and, and help them on the trajectory. So as I was helping my students, you know, on the day to day, it became very obvious what they needed to me. It was kind of an intuitive thing and I was helping them progress. But then on the same side, what I would get from my administrators, what I would get from my district was, no, 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 no. You've got to help them in this way. Right. So I started very clearly seeing the disconnect between what I know was actually helping their lives mm-hmm. and what I was being told, no, 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 you have to do this. I'm sitting there going, wait a second, I've got this 15 year old kid who's, you know, his family's trying to suck him into gangs and they're trying to suck him into dealing drugs and and I'm helping him shift his mindset, but you're telling me I've got to get him, you know, he should be doing algebra and that's what's gonna save his life? Like, come on, he could care less about that and I could care less about it for him, you know? So it was a clear disconnect and so that's what made me start going, okay, well, why do we do school the way we do it? And once I asked myself that question and went down that rabbit hole, you know, I I really had just kind of this gut check for me, like, man, we need to do something different. Like, we need to do something better. So I started speaking out about just the paradigm shifts that I saw, um, you know, that I thought were necessary in, in schools. And, and while that gained traction of me just speaking up at a small conference here that then asked me to do a breakout session there, that then asked me to, you know, maybe would you keynote our conference, our education conference this next year? You know, I started gaining traction speaking in education. And, and it was a company that saw me speak in education, said, look, we're trying to create a paradigm shift here with what we are doing as well. We'd love you to take that same mindset of like a paradigm shift and what can we do to kind of change culture? And, uh, you know, would you take that here to our organization? And and it really was this organic thing at that point of every time I would do a keynote, it would just turn into more and more and more opportunities to do more and more keynotes. And, and it really was this organic snowball thing because, um, you know, results were taking place for these organizations. So it's been a cool journey. That's yeah. interesting. You know, there's two different avenues I could go here. I'd love to know like how you're able to do this education journey in hand with the business side of that. Like, how do you marry those two together? Because it just sounds like yeah. a lot. To- it is a lot. So it's, but it's a couple different things. One, it's coffee. I drink a lot of it too. <laughs> um, it's support. I mean, obviously support, you know, I, I'd never go anywhere without letting people know the fact that I've got, you know, my wife has been able to be at home and really take on the majority of things around the homestead. You know, that's obviously been a huge part. So there's definitely a teamwork aspect of that, right? Like I haven't, mm-hmm. I, I've, had to be able to do all this stuff with her support. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have the time to to do what it is I do. And I schedule. It's not like I don't see my wife and kids. I see them every single day, unless I'm on the road speaking. I know. I, and then then it's a FaceTime. So I see them every single day. Um, I just literally have to schedule it in Crazy. to make sure. Yeah, just make sure that it happens. But. The beauty of it is all of this really goes hand in hand, right? So I'm working with these organizations, working with these companies, and then I'm running the school on the other side. Our school is all about what we call the hero's journey, right? So it's about finding your calling that will allow you to change the world. I want to see what superpowers are for each one of these young heroes that walk through our doors. And I want them to understand who they are, what they have to offer the world, but they also have to understand what the world is actually wanting as well, right? Like we have to understand that 
there are ways to provide value as you go into the workforce, whether you do that as an entrepreneur or, or you know, or, or whether you go as an intrapreneur and you kind of have that entrepreneurial mindset for somebody else, you're looking for ways to provide value. And the reality is the world continuously changes. You know, we've obviously just come off a very big example of that with this whole COVID-19 mm-hmm. thing, right? Everybody had to adapt super quickly and people couldn't do it. Organizations couldn't do it. Our students understand that adaptation is just a non-negotiable. You just have to be ready. You got to be ready to self-direct and learn. You also have to be able to unlearn when something no longer matters, works, is relevant, whatever, right? So we're having those conversations with them. And at the same time, I'm working with all these organizations and I'm talking directly to the CEOs. I'm talking directly to the HR managers, the hiring managers. And I'm asking them, what are you wanting from these young people coming in? And they're going, look, here's what we're looking for. This is what is going to make us take a chance on somebody. And oh, by the way, a lot of times what I get brought in to do is to work with their recent, you know, graduates that they're taking on. And they're like, man, these kids know how to play the school game, but they surely do not know how to provide value. They don't know how their job plays into the role of, you know, the organization in general. We're not really sure we want to keep them. Would you help us? Would you help us help them? So we're basically... What they're essentially saying, and they're trying to be PC about it, is that's great. They've got a college degree, but they suck, you know, and so will you help us? So I get to take that information, go back to our school and say, hey, look, here's what people are actually looking for. This is what's actually mattering. And I can have those conversations with our students and with our parents. That's awesome. So Uh you're actually doing almost some after college training for kids who who basically have been cheated out of the education they should have received, right? Like, well, Yeah, that- a lot of times with those companies, that's what I end up doing. It depends on the organization. I won't say that's across the board. Um, there are some very big organizations where that's my predominant role with them is is to help those youth get on board and figure it out. Sometimes it just ends up, it ends up being a different focus altogether. But, you know, all of it is in the context of understanding, you know, the younger generation and, and um, how their mindset, their thoughts, their mm-hmm. actions, their culture, their upbringing plays into what they do. Yeah, uh, I know the generational situation, you know, you have baby boomers working with Gen Xers working with yeah. millennials, yeah, you know, totally. and, and we all operate on a different value system of what we value. And so that can create some strife, maybe. Sure. Uh, can you kind of go back to like, why you decided because you said you were teaching, but you didn't want to mm-hmm. feel like you're wasting kids time. You know, there was mm-hmm. this district disconnect, you know, go back to actually starting the Acton Academy mm-hmm. school in California. Yeah. So school hasn't looked any different really than the last, you know, over the last hundred years, other than the fact that it's gotten more strict, more stringent, more um, driven by results on a very narrow scope mm-hmm. test. Right. So, yeah. You know, obviously, everybody knows that that's kind of the way things have been going. So I have a friend that says, and I love this quote, that we're so wrapped up in trying to beat China that we have become China, you know, like no no doubt, no mm -hmm. doubt to the detriment of everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're focusing on this very narrow skill set that almost all of it you could Google or you'll never need. I mean, that's really the you know, I took a again, I got straight A's, went through calculus, did got my straight A's and, you know, whatever calculus and stats and all the things that I took in college. And I went back recently and took some standardized tests for um, for our students, for our parents here, just so they could see. And, and right now, you know, running seven figure businesses, consulting with companies all around the world, my quote unquote grade level in math is right about sixth grade. Right. Because those things that we test usually don't matter. So I'm figuring and they this don't stuff stick, out. right? And they don't stick. You don't actually learn it. You learn to regurgitate it, but you don't actually learn it unless it stays there. That's the definition of learned, right? You have it there. It's permanent. And for most people, it's not because you don't use it because we've got, again, this very narrow scope of what we're, we're telling people is relevant. So we've got this theory that, you know, you focus on academia and then the rest of your life, you know, works out well and kind of trickles down from there. And that's provably false. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's the other skills and, and academia sometimes ends up being a subset if it needs to be. So as I'm teaching and, and kind of going, well, what, why are we doing all this? Why are we focusing on this narrow scope? And, you know, it's kind of started diving into people who had said, 
we should be doing it different or, or organizations that were doing it different. As I started going more down that rabbit hole, I'm like, OK, I, I can't with my own integrity do what I'm doing now. I just my heart is not in the right spot for that. I need to have a different thing. And so one of the things that I did at the one of the last traditional schools I was at was I convinced the administrators to let us run a project that was more similar to kind of like what Acton Academy would do and across the board. These middle school students said that was the best thing we'd ever done. It pushed them harder than they've ever been pushed, but they loved every minute of it. The outcomes were amazing. The parents were like, that was the best experience they've ever had educationally. Like that was unreal. And I went back to the administrators and said, look, this is what we got to make a push to do. And they're like, "Ah, yeah, but you know what? It was too free form. We need to create a rubric around it. We need to make it more academic. And, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, So if that's the way you want to go, awesome. I need to go do my own thing because at this point, my own children are getting to the age where they're going to be coming into school and I need them to have what I see is actually working, what is actually relevant. Um, And so that's when I decided, you know, I got to I got to take off and go start my own thing. Well, and I'd love to I mean, I've started a charter school. I'm fairly familiar with stuff that happens through state education. Um, What were some of those challenges you had when, you know, when you finally discovered, like, I got to do something different? It almost sounds like a John Taylor Gatto situation of like, I can no longer hurt, you know. I can no longer hurt children. And I, and I would not. I would not be honest if I didn't say he had a huge influence on that. Listening okay. to him talk and getting to read his books, getting to speak to him. I mean, that was um, it wasn't just it wasn't just him, but it was finding his work and going, hey, by the way, why do we never talk about this great educators? You go, you know, I'm a credentialed teacher, right? You go through the credential process. Why are we not reading his work? Oh, because it's telling us what we're doing, you know, is is predominantly a waste of time. So, of course, we're not going to read his work, but there's. There are things, and I don't agree with everything JTG ever said, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with a ton of it, and, and I saw a lot of that play out too. So, um, again, it was an integrity thing for me. The more we're focusing on academics and basing everything around that, and the concept of grade level, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. not—it's not a real thing. That's not a real thing, and, and it's just not. And and I could care less what somebody scores on any kind of, you know, generalized IQ, whether it's the SAT, whether it's a star test, whether I could care less. It does not have any application to how they go out and conquer the world. And and it just doesn't. So I didn't want to waste my time. Okay. Well, and with those challenges, so tell us a little bit more about Acton Academy. Is it a private school? So have you gone totally private or is it charter or what's the... Yeah, that's a really good question. So it's totally private. The reason okay. I've not done, um, you know, we've not done anything charter wise is because charters, as you know, you know, you're yeah. still you're still connected. You're still connected to the government. And you have to, to take those to state funding. testing and funding. You got to yeah. take this test. Exactly. And you got to you know, play this, the game, right? <laughs> you got to play the game. And I have no interest. I have no desire to play the game, you know, and, and what I understand about that game, too, is that that game, the rules of the game can change at any moment because we're not ultimately in control. When all your money's coming from somewhere else, that you know they're the game maker. If they decide that they're going to change that game and all of a sudden now we need to focus a little extra hard on this or you need to show this particular you know metric, otherwise your money is not going to show up um, the next year. It shifts your focus. I have no desire for that mm-hmm. to ever happen. So yeah, everything is everything we do is 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 privately funded. And is right. it something of your own creation, or did you pattern after other schools or other yeah. institutions that you've seen? Yeah, good question. So Acton Academy is a network, um, and when I and I say I choose that word very very intentionally. So we are a network of learner driven schools, and so what that means is there are. A number of us globally. So, in fact, come fall of uh, 2020, we're estimating right about 250 of us globally in about 25 different countries um, with applications in to open like another 15,000. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to open another 15,000 locations because we won't because we want the quality to remain high. We want solid owners, um, you know, but we'd like to make a strong push towards a thousand locations. And so it's a network of individuals, not unlike myself, that are wanting to complain about education by building something that we believe is better and helping each other along the way. So we have very you know, we have a, a forum that we are all connected with on a daily basis. We get together on a yearly basis. Um, we are continuously in this feedback loop of 
here's what I'm doing. You guys should try this. This worked really well. Ah, uh, this didn't. What did you do here? Give me some advice here, some feedback here. There's no mothership that says, okay. hey, you know, here's what you do. And here's, it's not McDonald's, right? It's not a franchise. Yeah, that's what it's, I was going to ask. <laughs> it sounded like a franchise, it. but yeah. It's, okay. not, it's not that at all. We have all very similar beliefs. We utilize similar systems, but every single location is going to look different because Every single community is different. Every single person is different, right? So, you know, you'll see some similar systems. We'll have similar verbiage to describe things, but it plays out in very different ways. As long as we remain, you know, we've got one kind of overarching document for all of us globally that just, you know, you know you're at an act and when, and, you know, when it talks about a learner-driven um, community. It talks about, you know, people talking about the hero's journey and kids understanding what that is and, and working towards that. And, um, you know, it's it's those basic things. After that, everything is just kind of let's see what we can do to get better. And, and everybody's helping each other. So it's a it's a really neat network that I don't awesome. believe there's anything else like it in no. education. No. Well, and I I want to touch on one more thing and then we'll move like into that paradigm shift, you know, sure. of what you're doing and all of that kind of stuff. But so a lot of people will obviously say because it's a private school, you're working with the upper crust of kids. And uh, of course, they're doing wonderful because they have wealth and they're yeah. what the one percenter type of thing. What's your feeling on that? Do you work with any yeah. like low income type families or what's yeah the... really really good it's a really good point so here's the downside of private education all the way around and it's no you know we're not pretending this is not the downside it's financially driven right like mm -hmm. we're private and so then people that cannot afford it cannot go so yes that is a huge issue and i know i speak for a number of i can't obviously speak for all owners but i speak for a number of owners where we're doing everything we can to drive costs down at our location while still being able to be in a business that is able to operate, but to also provide scholarship opportunities to also, you know, we've got a number of different initiatives here on this campus where we want to be able to scholarship, you know, students left and right in various areas of Sacramento that, you know, traditionally would have students that wouldn't have access to this kind of thing. We've got a number of initiatives that we are using to do this. Here's where I would push back on somebody that says, well, of course the kids are doing well because it's the upper 1%. And, you know, I don't want to exploit ever, but I also want to point out what needs to be pointed out. This whole COVID-19 thing, right? All of a sudden, drop of the hat, school's closed. Mm -hmm. School, mm -hmm. School's closed and everybody went virtual, right? So our campus is definitely in an upper socioeconomic uh, area of California. We are in the part of California that is described honestly, usually as having the best schools in the state. Now, you and I both know that usually means <laughs> you're in a good socioeconomic area, right? Yeah. Which we you are. get a lot of funding, right? at least, right? You get a lot of funding and you've got parents who are involved and you've got, right, you've got all these, mm -hmm. all of these things. But here's what happened. Everybody went virtual and none of the schools around here were able to operate. The kids stopped working. The schools panicked. The schools did not know what to do. And in turn, the kids basically stopped working. And this is not just anecdotal coming from students or is that I'm hearing it from students, staff. I had administrators and district leaders calling me going, hey, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So here you as a private school, like tutoring yep. the public education. <laughs> Tutor, tutoring them on what to do. And my verbiage to them, honestly, was your guys are kind of screwed. It's for two reasons. So I, I can tell you, our students, as soon as we went virtual that next day, and I'm talking all the way down to our five-year-olds, they were on Zoom. They were on their virtual meetings, same time in the morning. They had their schedules set for the day, and they were off and running. Wow. We did not skip a beat. So we didn't skip a beat. The other, quote-unquote, rich kids down the street had no idea, and they were floundering and have floundered ever since. That's so, awesome. And so that points out kind of the discrepancy. It's not just a, hey, you're in a good area thing. What it is is two things. One, systemically, we're more able to continuously adapt and understand the need for it. That's a big part. The bigger component of that is we are so hell-bent on making our students self-directed mm -hmm where they are in charge of their own learning, they're in charge, they're personally responsible for leading those heroes' journeys, 
that they can then take the reins and do things even when the adults are not around. That's why we are better. That's awesome. Well, so, and it sounds like you lead by example. I mean, as far as your administration that you're self-directed, you unlearn what, you know, needs to be unlearned and throw out what doesn't work almost right. immediately. And then your, uh, sounds like your student body, they follow suit and they're those types of kids that have been taught that. That's awesome. I'd love to learn more about like the paradigm change, you know, when you finally decided to start your own thing, you know, trying to figure out what you wanted to do. How did that paradigm shift and how did you end up doing something so disruptive to the educational industry? Yeah, I mean, a a big part of that is it's my own personal integrity, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've got I've got to be able to look myself in the mirror. So the minute I look at myself and I think, ooh, I am you know, either wrong here or I'm mistaken or there's a better way. There's a better way to think about something to do. So I have to go do it. Like I, I cannot, mm-hmm. I can't say stagnant and I surely can't say stagnant in an area where I really actually think I'm not doing the right thing. So, you know, as soon as I kind of figured that out, still being in a more traditional environment, you know, my first try, really my first move was to say, hey, Hey, other administrators here at the school, what do you think about let, let's kind of shift our focus? Let's I tried to, you know, I wanted to say I was truly invested in those families and kids that I was working with then. And I, I really wanted to see if we could just kind of create a shift together. We already had a really cool community. So what if we can make that community even better by shifting our focus? And, you know, it was very, very obvious, very, very early that nobody else was on board with that, you know? <laughs> well, and I've um, heard that like people in education, they are in education because they they knew how to work that system so well that they are the last ones to really disrupt it because they're at the top of it basically they're at the top of it that's it and and what stinks is that you've got to realize like I had to come to terms with okay I have not been giving these kids the best opportunity they could have had because I've been perpetuating this system like I had to come to terms with that as my as myself as a teacher as an administrator right and so mm-hmm. what you find is that when you challenge the system people take it as an attack on them yeah. themselves right and so that's why it's really I always ride this line and people are going to hear what they want to hear but I always want to say this very very loudly very very clearly I am the largest supporter of teachers and administrators Mm -hmm. in the world. Biggest supporter, anything I can, that's why school districts are still calling me saying, hey, can you help me out? And I do as much as I can do it. I'm a huge supporter. Just as much as I'm a staunch supporter of them and an advocate of them, I look at that system that is set up as my absolute enemy and I want to destroy it. Right. So like, I mean, I destroy the thinking at least. Right. I mean, (laughs) I wanted to. Yeah. The system is not set up to because ultimately it's not set up to help our, you know, to help Mm -hmm. our kids and to help our and to help our country. So, um, you know, I always want to say it's not a personal attack on those people, you know, in any stretch of the imagination. But that's how it feels, I think, for a lot of them. And, And so. Um, you know, the pushback that I got on that, of course, was and I understand that. So um, it became very obvious that I wasn't going to be able to make it happen there. And so it was actually very early in my last year in that traditional school. Um, you know, we started our school year maybe in September. Right. And I think it was probably in October when I just said, hey, just so you know, to the other administrators, to the board, I'm going to finish out this year. I will not say a word about starting my own thing, but I'm going to have to leave here after this year and go start my own thing. Um, and they didn't necessarily take me seriously, I don't think, right at first. But then, you know, as the year went on, I'm like, hey, what are we doing to replace me? What are we doing to – it was like, okay, you're serious oh, about wow. that. I am serious about this, and I am also serious. I won't try to, you know, do anything. And then, you know, so I told them. We prepared there. We just – did a blanket statement of I'm not going to be there anymore, right? We didn't say that I was leaving to go start my own thing. And, you know, so I, I cut ties at the end of that year. And then I intentionally started talking about what I was doing, but I intentionally did not go to the families that I was so heavily connected with while I was there. Because again, I wanted this to be an integrous thing right from up front. I didn't want it to look like I was bashing them and stealing all the students. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't want that whatsoever. And so I made sure to intentionally move away from that. Um, but I had to do it. Yeah. Well, let's move into kind of the the ideas, though. You know, as you're leaving the traditional school, 
and how you've changed that paradigm to it it just sounds like you're running the school more like a business like your message is yep. tailored more to the consumer i mean like you were saying when you tried this program in the district and the kids are coming back uh, like you know this is amazing and the parents are saying that but then the district itself doesn't follow suit it's like they right. they were doing the opposite of not tailoring that message to what the consumer wanted or needed you know, let's right. let's move through that mind shift of why you picked up like the the hero's journey, and I've heard you mention that several times. You know, trying to figure out mm-hmm. who you are, um, having that really understanding of more of who you are than you know what is yeah. being taught there. Yeah, totally. I mean, again, the whole key is self awareness, right? Self, um, you know, being able to to self direct, understanding what your superpowers are. I look at my life and and what I've just done personally and it's because i'm really really good at like two things i suck at almost everything you know but i'm really i'm really good at two or three things and so i just do those and i do those really really well and then i build a team around me of people that are really really good at the things that i'm not really good at i mean that's the way mm-hmm. good businesses work it's the way good business operates and and that's what i want for these students to be able to direct their life you said it's more like a business it really is we say that this isn't even a school it's a workspace for youth. It's a workspace for young heroes. And that whole hero's journey, um, that's an act and academy thing worldwide. Um, that is something, you know, we refer very heavily back to Joseph Campbell's work on the hero's journey and what it means to go on this heroic journey and all the steps that it goes, you know, it's this 12 step process, right? And it goes, you go through all these things of having, of having a mentor and you wanted to, you know, you're, you're finding this calling, but you're refusing the calling because, you know, there's challenges ahead. You find this mentor, you're having to, to go into this cave, you're having to slay the dragons, which, you know, sucks. It's hard. And it's this battle, but you come out with this new, you know, knowledge that can then help others. And so you pour back into others and it's kind of this continuous cycle of growth. You know, it's really what it is. It's a growth mindset cycle. Um, and so that's what we focus on here is developing that. And it looks different for every single one of our students. So we need to be able to, to have an environment where all of them can figure out what that looks like for them. Um, and it surely doesn't look, you know, the, the concept of all students at this age you just sit with students that are that age. You take this very specific course. By the way, if you don't know how to do this course, you're quote unquote behind and we're going to start labeling you yeah. and make you yeah. like not up to par. Um, if you're past that, then you're quote unquote ahead and give you a false sense of security on something that doesn't matter. And then the next year, you're going to take these very specific things. If we did that to people in any other area of life, we're like, hey, you're at this age. You need to go get this specific medication, just like everybody else at that point. You also need to go to this specific grocery store and you can only eat this specific food You know, be like, what the hell are we doing? But we're doing that to our kids for 12 years. Tell yeah. them what yeah. education looks like. You know, that's what schooling looks like. It's yeah. what conditioning yeah. looks like. Well, can you imagine if we did that from the time they were babies? You know, all of my kids developed at different times. They were all walking. What if I told my child that was walking at 14 months old or whatever that they were stupid and they were just behind? I mean, we would create that fixed mindset of like, we're never going to learn these things. That's exactly what it is. You know, and I don't remember who said it, but somebody said something to the effect of, you know, if we if we started making school compulsory down, you know, uh, to an infant level, um, you know, it would only take a, a generation before we truly believed you know our kids had to go to school in order to learn how to walk right yeah. like that's the bag of, that's the bag of goods that we've been sold and I use that walking example I actually used it in a in a TED talk that I gave you know uh, many years ago that you know you look at me I was a very much a late walker I mean I was the guy that was I was 14 15 months right before I learned how to walk uh, and all the other babies were walking way before me I ended up being a really good athlete you don't look at me and think oh man that guy's gonna trip and fall <laughs> he down, was a right? late like, walker <laughs> oh my gosh that guy was definitely a late walker look at him now you know what i mean like yeah and it's the same thing for so much of what we're talking about here and so it's just ridiculous that we put this time frame and it's not even just the time frame it's around it's a time frame around things that truly a lot of times do not even matter Um, And so I think that's just doubly ridiculous. That's awesome. Well, let's go into like your message at Acton Academy. You said that's actually, what did you say? Like it's a network of schools. Did you find the network or was it something that you were searching for? Um, You know, how, how did that network, how did you become involved in that network? I guess. Yeah. Good question. So I was actually, um, you know, this is, it was in my 
kind of speaking to other educational leaders sort of phase, right? Like 2014, 2015. Um, and I was speaking to a group of professors in South Carolina and, and was just helping them kind of shift their mindset around just education in general, their professors educating incoming teachers, right? And so um, we're having this great conversation and, and I've got this group of probably only about a hundred of them in, in this room. And, um, you know, one of the professors that was out there at uh, at South Carolina University, she, she said, hey, you know, came up to me afterwards. She says, I really like what you're talking about. I like this paradigm shift. I'm taking a, a position at UC Santa Cruz. Um, I know you're in California. I would love for you to come. You know, we're going to put on a, a, a TED talk. I'm going to help uh, be on the board, put on a TED talk. Uh, I would love to have you join us and just talk about kind of this, you know, this this movement in education and, and you know, people that are challenging the status quo, organizations that are challenging the status quo, would you consider doing that? And so I said, you know, yeah, sure, this is great. And it gives me an opportunity to dive in. Um, and she said, hey, one of these networks I'd really like you to check out is some, you know, I've been hearing about these guys called Acton Academy. And so that was the first time it was put on my radar. And so during the process of kind of getting ready for that, as I was checking out a number of organizations, I, I went to go spend time at as many of these, you know, different schools and and networks as I could, but it was my time at the original Acton location in Austin, Texas, uh, that just sealed the deal for me, you know, watching it in action. And I just, I walked out of there going, this is exactly what I have been trying to say, do talk about for it. Like, this is exactly what I think it's supposed to look like. I cannot not be a part of this, especially again, with my own kids coming into school age, like they've got to have this. So either I've got to move to where one is already in existence or I need to build one. Um, so we decided to build. That's awesome. And what are like three strong messages that are kind of uh, laid yeah. throughout your curriculum? We've already talked about hero's journey, you know, having that self-awareness. I, I love the fact that you kind of teach children to specialize. We're actually, we're standardizing children for a specialized world. And I think that that's sad because there's so many people that come out of school and they literally have to spend decades of their life trying mm -hmm. to figure out who they are. Um, but yeah, yeah. Talk about like that message, yeah. the, the things that you've really drive home to your students. Yeah. I mean, obviously the hero's journey is this big thing, right? But we are again, learner driven at our core. And so our biggest message is that, you know, youth is capable. The, the kids are far more capable than they believe. And that usually the parents will let them see too. So that mm -hmm. is the biggest, you know, the easiest take home message is that they are very capable of driving their own journeys of driving their learning. And often learning from one another is going to be so much more impactful and real than it is from an authority top down kind of deal right mm -hmm. so kids are capable and, and that's our biggest message we also talk about the fact that you know learning to be and learning to do are so much more necessary and relevant and enriching than learning to know school has always just been learning to know at this point i can grab Siri, I can yell to my Alexa, I can jump on Google, I can find out information. What's more important though is what do I do with that information? Can I transform that information? Can I incorporate that? Can I decide between good information and bad information? Can I combine it with something else that I know and figure out a way to provide value and look ahead and that growth mindset, right? So learning to be, learning to do, vastly more important than learning to know. Those are really some of the biggest lessons that we're continuously trying to drive home. You know, it's this concept of a growth mindset and how much that, you know, that really, really matters, but that learners, the young learners, the young heroes are going to do it better than we will, um, you know, at, at this point in time in our history. It really is just something that we're seeing play out over and over and over again. That's awesome. Well, and I understand where it's a private school, you probably already have, you know, parents kind of, on board with the process, but I do feel like a lot of us, we are conditioned to believe certain things about education. I think, you know, kids are, because it's their first experience, they mm -hmm. grab onto these concepts and these ideas so easily and so readily. It's really the parents, and sadly, it's the parents that end up creating a yeah. situation where the student isn't able to thrive. Like, how do you help? Because it really sounds like you have to get the parents involved mm -hmm. with this education. Yeah. Like, 
tell me a, yeah. like, what's your feelings on parenting in general? <laughs> yeah, it's so tough. So, you know, you, you hit a couple really key points right there. So one talking about, you know, you said, well, what the students, you know, they just learned that this is the way it is. And so they just go for it. And that's very much true unless they're older and they come in and they've got five or six years of schooling under their belt. <laughs> and then it takes them a while, right? It takes yeah. them a while. To they have to be de-schooled, right? It's they've like... got to be de-schooled. They've got to go through this process of de-schooling and retraining their brain on what learning looks like, right? So we do see that play out for older students that come in. You're right, though. Our younger students, you know, my daughters who have never, and then my son, as he comes into it, like they've never seen anything different, right? So, you know, and many of the the kids that are their age, they've, they've been with us from day one. They've never seen anything different. So the reality is the most self-directed group on our campus is probably the eight and nine year olds because we've been around for three years. They've been here since the beginning and, you know, they don't need adults that much. I mean, they they just they just really don't. And by the time they're in high school, they really won't. I mean, you know, where we help as these business mentors, um, so to speak, but that's really it. They're driving, you know, they're driving their journey at that point. We become irrelevant. We always talk about the fact that our perfect day on campus would be that none of the adults show up and the kids don't even notice, nor does it matter, right? Like they just do their, they just do their thing. That would be our perfect, that would be our perfect day. Um, and then, you know, it'd be time to just go start another community and just, you know, I mean, and, and replicate that. Right. So that's kind of the goal. But as far as the parents go, you, you know, you talk again about that conditioning. So, I can have these conversations, right? I'll have these converse, these types of conversations about what we're doing. We'll talk about the hero's journey. We'll talk about these stories. People will see stuff in action. They'll know about the Acton network and they'll be intellectually fully on board. I mean, they'll be like, yes, this is the way it's got to look like, man. Everybody, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Are you kidding? I love the hero's journey. The Matrix is one of my favorite movies, man, when he comes out and he's got, he meets Morpheus and he doesn't want to do it, but, you know, then he, 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 just takes on the call and he's like, all right, let's go. And, and he changes the world and comes back like, that's great. I love that story. And then as soon as their child's in it and as soon as their child is struggling on something or not meeting quote unquote grade level and somebody in their family or their neighbor next door goes, oh, you mean your child's not able to do this academic thing at this point? They start to panic. Yeah. Right. So yeah. The intellectual understanding versus the emotional understanding. Yeah. And those are vastly yeah. different. So we continue to talk about those things over and over. And I'll be honest, there are parents who literally cannot get over that emotional hump when it comes to their own kids. And it just is not going to work out for them. Yeah. It's just um, and it's a sad thing. You know, I mean, I literally will have parents. I had a parent who their child is making at you know, 12 years old, 13 years old, their child's making, you know, 1500 to $2,000 a month with his own business. Wow. Uh, the parent goes, man, I have just, I have, the parent literally is telling me I have just blown it with my family. I don't understand. I was always a straight A student, but I just financially, I have put us in ruins. We're in this really bad spot financially. Their child's making $1,500 to $2,000 a month and is one quote-unquote grade level behind as if that was a thing, and that was her concern. Wow. But that's, yeah. that, that's how strong that conditioning is. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, that's how strong. we're. T- it's like all rationale, all reality just goes out the window, and they can't see the reality of what's going on. I have a different child at home. They're more respectful. They're more responsible. They're happy. They're great. Ugh. But grade level on this one thing is it's like, oh, my, come on. This is not you just named all these other things. They're they're moving forward in their life. They're happy. They're responsible. They're starting a business. They're moving forward. They're kicking tail and something else. But you're like, hey, this one thing right here that they hate, they're not just crushing. And maybe we need to go back to regular, you know, to regular school. It's I liken it when I when I talk to him, I'm like, hold on. So you want your kids to go to a culinary arts program, right? And learn from from the best chefs in the world how to make all of this stuff. But you're like, ugh, I cannot get them on. Bo-. Like they still need to eat their McDonald's fries and they're not eating their McDonald's fries. I mean, that's basically yeah. what you're like. I still need them to have the garbage that they don't care about. That doesn't matter. Even though they've got all this other opportunity in front of them, I just they still need to eat those fries. I mean, yeah. that's basically what it's akin to. I think parenting is such a competitive, you know, when you're a parent, there's just yep. the sense of competition that you have with other 
and and that's what makes you a good parent is if you can stay at the top of that competition and and really it's so systemic <laughs> you know it's a systemic Ugh, problem you hit it man it's for i need sure. my kid to go to harvard so i can put the yeah. bumper sticker on my car that says i'm a harvard mom so that i can show everybody that i was a good mom because look my kid went to harvard it yeah. has nothing to do with parenting that kid it's a keeping up with the joneses thing and we do that so much you know in society now as parents and it's absolutely yeah. the wrong way to go other people's opinions should never be coming that are you know, a decision-making process for anything, period. But especially when it comes to raising our kids, like raising them because somebody else will think you're a better parent to raise them a certain way is just, is, is crazy. Yeah. And we forget too, like our kids are not extensions of us. They're actual Different. other people, you know, Different and, they, people. and they go through their own personal struggles. They go through years yeah. of like trying to figure it out. And, and for some reason, and I'm guilty of this too, I have to say this, um, some yeah. reason yeah. when our kids are struggling, we put it on ourselves of like, what did I do? And Maybe some of it might be your thing, but some of it is just the fact that they're a human having their own experience. <laughs> that's exactly and, it. Yeah. And, and, that's, yeah. and that's okay. You yeah. know, we should, we're beaten by example and we want them to find out what makes them. They are not little, like you said, they're not, they're not you 2.0. It's not a chance for you to relive all the things you wish you had lived or relive the things that you loved. You know, I want them to have that school experience because I had a great time at prom. And so I want them to have a great time at prom. It's like, is that really it? You know, I tell them all the time. It's like, I have no desire for these years they're here at Acton to be the best years of their life. I want them to love coming here. Of course. I want it to be great. Of course. But you want struggle you and live, challenge. And, you yeah. want all of that stuff, too, because if you leave here and your best years were what you spent up through high school, the rest of your life must have sucked, and that's yeah. not cool. I want them to leave here with the skills and the abilities to create this amazing life for themselves. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and we see that all the time, and we see the jock that is living out. You know, he's still in the glory days, and and all yeah. of that. So, yeah, it's it's a real thing that happens that the traditional schooling has created. I'd love to oh, talk sure. too. You know, we talked about how the school is run like a business and, and then the competitiveness of parents and stuff like that. But I really, you know, one of my questions was, you know, areas that you collaborate. And I really feel like that's the difference, though. We sometimes think that businesses are all about competition, but right. oftentimes there is more about collaboration. Yeah. And um, I almost feel like it's one of those um, oxymorons, you know, like we think of any private school or a business or whatever. It's just this competitive driving thing. But actually, I mean, do you want to talk about that a little, how how it's actually very different than that? There's this huge, wonderful collaboration versus that competition and what, yeah. you know, think causes That's that. That's a great point, man. It, there's enough room for everybody to win, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's the reality of it. So for collaboration for us, you know, it's multifaceted. One, network-wide, I mean, it truly is a network of people who are trying to help one another, and that includes other people who may open other campuses somewhat near you, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I look at it like CrossFit is, I think, a really good example of kind of what we're doing. You know, CrossFit uh, kind of created this movement in fitness and whether you love them or you hate them or you're indifferent, whatever, you know, most people know what it is at this point. And what it was, is it just started out as, you know, these couple of small locations that were collaborating together. How do we continue to get better? And then it was changing the fitness levels of the people that were walking through their doors. And those people started telling more people. And then they started opening up, you know, these other what they call boxes, these other gyms, you know, right down the road. But you could see both of them would flourish and people would still get better. And then, you know, there was just kind of this movement. And so now everybody knows what CrossFit is and all of your big box traditional you know, fitness centers, your 24-hour fitnesses or whatever, they're incorporating CrossFit style classes, you know, into what they do, right? So it mm -hmm. changed the face of fitness. We're very much the same way. We're changing the face of education by just building this better model. It's actually really good for us if somebody else opens not too far away and also crushes it because then what you're talking about is brand identity 
and understanding that if you go to an act-in, whether you're over in Idaho where you are, you're in California where I am, you go to New Hampshire, you go to whatever, um, you're going to have this quality product. And so it behooves us all to collaborate together, you know, and then mm-hmm. we collaborate on a local level with, with our businesses as well. We want our businesses to be able to come in and talk directly with our students and not just in a mentorship fashion, but also in, you know, uh, opportunities for our students to take on apprenticeships and internships and to go straight into the workforce after high school if they want to do that, because we've got good organizations who trust us and trust them. And, you know, so collaboration rarely ever doesn't make sense. That's awesome. Well, and I want to hear your feedback. I mean, we already talked about how we're tailoring that message to the consumer, which is the child or mm-hmm. the parent or whatever, but it looks like you're endorsed by Gary V. Is that the actual Gary V that, uh, you know, most of the world knows? <laughs> that's, that's too funny, man. So yeah, so Gary and I have gotten to connect on a, on a number of different occasions. Um, you know, our first time we ever connected was on an Instagram live chat. And he's like, tell me more about, you know, about acting and kind of what you guys do. And as I kind of explained who we were, you know, in true Gary V fashion, he slams his hand on the table and he's like, now that's a school I would have effing gone to, you know, <laughs> he, was, he was, he was kind of excited about it. He did a little, um, he did a little kind of shout out for us last year for an event that we were putting on as well. Um, and just kind of said, Hey, like if you're in that area, you guys need to go check out that event. I love what these guys are doing out there at Acton. I, you know, this is a school that um, represents what I wish I had growing up. Um, you know, and so you can see on my kind of my personal or the school's personal, um, you know, the school's Instagrams and, and Facebook and, and all those things. You can see some of those video mm-hmm. clips and things that he sent for us. And it's funny that you mentioned him too, because um, as you and I, I get off the call today. He's actually on my podcast today. Um, oh, that's so awesome. Be, yeah, I'll be interviewing him in about an hour and a half, I think. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but it's just, again, it's just a very similar mindset in what education should should look like and, you know, the the being willing to change. And so, um, you know, he's he's spoken very highly uh, of what we're doing, which I'm, I'm definitely very grateful for. And, and you know, we're fans, uh, we're fans of him as well, whether you love him or hate him and, um, whatever that looks like, you know, when you get down to it, he's a really good guy. I mean, he just, he really is. And he, he, he does care about the youth. So, um, yeah, it's a very cool connection. To have. Well, and you uh, often uh, hear of very successful entrepreneurs that they did very poorly in school because they couldn't fit into that traditional mold, but then they get out in business and they just crush it because, totally. you know, and Gary V's one of those, uh, Elon Musk, Musk, I think of another person. Yeah. And, and that's what um, I think as parents, we have to keep that in mind that uh, sometimes we have the ugly duckling child who ends up growing into a swan, you know, later on in life and that we can't just pin all of our hopes onto what they're doing right at that process. Um, For sure. And especially if they're succeeding at something that ultimately is not transmits anything, you know, it doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, move over to any other areas of life. It's great. If your kid is getting good grades, like that's great. That's awesome. But don't pretend that that's going to mean that they're going to be successful, happy, like that doesn't. and And likewise, if your kid's not getting good grades, it doesn't translate either to, yeah. to you know so um we got to stop putting the grades on a pedestal uh, you know all, all the way around well and we do that to the child too i mean i hear so many disaffected yeah kids that come out of college and they're like okay i followed all the rules where's my bucket of money you know at the end of this rainbow and they're totally they're, there isn't one and then they feel cheated they feel yeah. you know that so they've been lied to all their life um definitely. Yeah. so so yeah. you you've talked a lot about like helping other people find their life's mission and you know know who they are what's something you feel like you've learned that's helped you to to really live your life with more meaning and lead with your life's mission yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, I think the the one advantage that I have, and I think it's been, um, you know, through a, a, a vast number of experiences that are not uh, driven by me too. I definitely do not give myself uh, the credit for the majority of these experiences that I've gone through. It's been it's been other people pushing me through various things and and other things, good and bad, that have happened that have helped me kind of be here. But I think once I really uh, learned 
that most people, and I'm not talking to students, I'm talking just most people in general, live in some sort of fear. And, you know, we kind of alluded to it earlier, the fear of what other people think, the fear of, um, you know, there's always this what if kind of thing. And, and uh, it's really the fear of missing out, right? Like we're fear of missing out, fear of, yeah, fear of what mom and dad are going to think about you, fear of what the neighbors are going to think, the fear of what your spouse is going to say, the fear of what, right? Like as soon as you get out of that, um, life looks vastly different. And I think that's one of the greatest things that I was able to learn is that fear is not a real thing. You know, I mean, da- danger is a real thing. Fear is not a real thing. And then, you know, as soon as I figured that out and that that, that only exists in, in your mind and you can choose to not have that exist in your mind, that really shifted the trajectory of just how I how I live life on a day to day basis. And, and I'm probably the happiest person I know because of that. Uh, <laughs> You know, so that was really the biggest one of the biggest lessons I could have learned. So maybe if we can recognize that emotion, it can sure. actually be a switch of like, oh, this is the direction I need to go in. Um, almost sure. Like, yeah, you can use it sure. as like your superpower. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> use it to inform. Yeah, sure. I mean, use it to make some. You get that little intrepidation. It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to use it to make a decision. But uh, you know, most people will sit and ruminate, and they'll start to create scenarios to to worry about that are never ever going to happen in the first place. You yeah. know, and and that's just a um, that's a crazy crazy that's a crazy way to live we live we we leave so much on the table because of that and we waste so much time um because of that too and and so i think looking at my you know day to day my i'm not driven by money i'm driven by good use of time um that's always something that i look at my day and go am i taking my time right now to do something that actually matters that is pushing myself forward my business forward my family forward you know other people forward it's actually being productive and i and i have this very um I mean, I, I almost want to use the word obsessive. Uh, I guess I just look at how I spend how I spend my time, but it's made a big difference. That's awesome. Do you feel like there's a, a habit in your personal life that's um, helped you acquire that's been really useful, maybe uh, to better learning? Yeah, um, honestly, it's it's the, the scheduling, the discipline of scheduling. Um, it has really been the key for, for me. So what, with our launch patterns, what's what we call high school, um, you know, we have them create a mod, what we call a mod schedule. So they're literally mapping out their Monday through Friday while they're with us. They're mapping out in 20 minute increments what that day looks like. And that's something that I do seven days a week is map out exactly what my day is going to look like. Um, you know, and if there's any time for ambiguity, I'll either fill it in or I'll allow myself some ambiguous time, you know, if that ever takes place. But it's been that discipline of scheduling exactly what's going on from one minute to the next. So I know as soon as I'm done with with this, I'm moving on to this next thing here. And I, and I just, again, it's kind of that obsession with using my time productively. And for me, that is something that keeps me happy. I would also schedule in escape time for other people. If like, hey, I need to schedule in my TV time or my video game time or whatever that looks like for people. Um, I would definitely say schedule schedule that in, but actually make it a schedule because we all know, no, oh, I'm going to check Facebook real quick. And then next thing you know, it's four and a half hours later and you went down this rabbit hole, right? <laughs> So keeping that the discipline around schedule has been a big deal for me. That's awesome. I do usually map out a week, but I like the 20 minute increments too. And then I think that escape time is so vital because it's really good for mental health. I mean, you can't constantly, you know, be doing that. But to do the discipline of it, I think is a it's a superpower because it's yeah yeah I can schedule it, but if if I follow it, (laughs) that's it, and it's the following of that schedule. And you're right, and the escape time it looks different for everybody too, right? I I really I I need you know maybe twenty twenty minutes to an hour probably over the course of a week where I need to sit down and kind of detach from everything and just Mm -hmm. kind of whatever. And I don't consider my just, you know, I, I, from like five to about seven 30 at night, I'm, that is just family time. No matter what, I don't consider that my escape time, although it really, really is, but I'm going to, I'm going to not do any work during that time. And I'm just going to kind of spend that time there with them. You know, it was just, I'm talking like, uh, something like if I'm going to sit down. Personal time, yeah, basically. Personal, yeah. own personal time. I don't need a ton to be able to recharge because I just enjoy, I enjoy all the different segments of my day. So I don't feel like I'm over stressed with 
with that. You know what I mean? So, but everybody, it looks different for everybody, but I think scheduling it so you don't end up wasting time is something people just need to be aware of. You know, am I a time waster? If I am, then let's give myself a very strict schedule around how much I can waste. Yeah. Well, I think it's awesome when we do schedule. It's like uh, my food. In, in fact, if I have like, if I know what I'm going to be eating, but then I know I have a time in that week where I can just let loose and eat pizza if I want. It makes it so much easier to stay disciplined in doing what I say I'm going to do because I know, you know, you know, there's a pocket of time there that you've created for yourself where you have, you know, time to peruse Facebook for an hour. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Makes sense. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about like the long-term goals and how that works into the legacy that you're hoping to leave. Yeah. So long-term goals for us here, um, from a business standpoint, we want to put a number of campuses here in the Sacramento area. And, you know, again, we got our second campus that we just were getting up and running now. We really think five, six campuses in this area uh, could make sense. And part of that is like kind of like we were talking earlier is driving costs down and looking for other ways to increase revenue to the point where we have scholarships available. Um, and so have these outside sources of funding to the, that we're able to to work for and to build into our system um, so that we can go to some of the areas that are less fortunate and go, man, let's let's get your young hero here, you know, and so that's that's really kind of business business goal wise. I mean, that's really where we're going. And some of those avenues are uh, they're all related, but some of those avenues are, you know, purchasing other small businesses in the area where our kids can then go run those small businesses. And then, you know, the, the profitability of those businesses folds into scholarship opportunities. My own podcast is another revenue source hosting TEDx. Um, we're creating a virtual program with a, um, a pretty well-known group out of Texas. Um, you know, all of these things to to provide other resources for, for the youth. Um, and that's really the, the legacy is, is I want to, you know, ultimately get to a point where I just go into oblivion and I don't mean like retire by a yacht and, and you know, <laughs> sit on my, well, that's not what I mean. I just mean be able to get out of the, you know, ultimately just get out of the public eye and, and just go, you know, continue to, I, I feel like I'm living in retirement right now, even though I work every single day, I, I truly do enjoy what I'm doing. So I don't see any like long term, you know, whatever, but the legacy is just shifting the minds of, of people around here. Kind of like I said, CrossFit sort of changed fitness altogether. That's really what I want for this acting community. I want people to look back and go, man, it was those acting academies that really shifted what education looks like in our country and really kind of made everybody else have to stand guard and go, man, we should do things a little different. Like I want to be a part of that change. Um, We can make that change. That's all the legacy that, that I need outside of, I've already got, you know, my kids are going to have these opportunities. I'm going to make sure they've got these opportunities. That in of itself is, is rewarding enough for me, but that's the next step is shifting uh, the mindset for the masses. Well, and that's, kind of the business model you know we always take care of our own need but then that grows out to the community around us which grows out to you know our state which grows out and and I think that that's um, that's something I think people need to understand too like when we're talking about businesses sometimes it starts for maybe a selfish reason but it continues to spiral to affect the community in a positive way Um, I'm really hoping that COVID-19 really opens the eyes to a lot of parents. Like I think um, when you just think that your school district's running and everything's fine and then you have a crisis hit and you see how just unprepared they were. I'm really lucky my children are, you know, we've been in a district that's always kept their eyes open about online learning and virtual stuff and everything. So Mm -hmm. they didn't miss a beat either, but there are a lot of people out there that all of a sudden they are seeing, um, I guess they're seeing the incompetence for what it is uh, at at this point. That's exactly right. You know, and then people rightfully so are like, well, hey, there's some of the, you know, lower socioeconomic areas where they don't have access to technology necessarily. Right. So they don't have their districts, you know, didn't even even if the district was prepared, the the students wouldn't have had access to the virtual Mm -hmm. to the Zoom calls and to all this kind of stuff. And and I fully agree with that. And I also wish that, again, those districts were were really trying to make the adults as irrelevant as possible as early on. Even that young person, even without access maybe to some of the technology can still self-direct and move forward. And know how to learn, yes. Yes, Yes. yeah, Yeah. 
Um, well, Very cool. and before we do like the final parting words and stuff like that, how can a person, if they're really interested in this, I mean, we were talking about, we love teachers. The problem yeah. with our situation now is that teachers only have one place to work, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, right. or very few, it's very limited. That's why we have huge teachers unions and stuff because they need somebody that can advocate for them because it's not like a regular job where you have like, you know, a hundred different places that you could apply. Right. Um, what can a person do if they're just feeling very inspired by what you're saying and maybe wants something different like you've done for yourself? I would say go to Acton Academy, the Acton Academy website, not Acton Placer, go to Acton Academy and start diving into this network. It's actonacademy.org. Start diving into this network and, and just see, see if there's something near you already that you would be able to go, you know, just kind of check out, spend some time. You can contact them and see if that's something that they'd be open to is, is you spending some time there and, and diving in and learning a little more. Um, and if you're really, you know, driven by by kind of the concept of this and the hero's journey and it's really, really resonating with you, then, you know, I would encourage you to just start looking at, at the audition process of what it would take to, to open one too. And I, and I don't say that half-heartedly because it is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Yeah. You know, it just, it is, it's ridiculously difficult, but you'll know. I mean, if you're going through that and you're just like, yeah, I can, I need to do that. You'll know, you'll know if you need to continue to push through that. So I would just, you know, I would check out actonacademy.org and then, you know, Google and YouTube are, are going to be your best friends to jump on both of those hit Acton Academy in there and, and you'll get, you know, videos, articles from Actons all over the world and, and just be able to start exploring. And it may lead you to a different avenue that's that's even more in line with who you are. You know, um, the self-awareness piece is important for these teachers, too, to understand what really is it that drives me? What is my own superpower? And, and what is it? You know, that that reflection is important there, too. But, you know, I would recommend diving into yourself and then diving into those resources to see if it's something you'd want to take a, a look at further. And parents could possibly start their own, too, right? If they don't that's have. Usually the way it goes yeah exactly because that self-interest again you want to provide this for your children and then for sure goes for that so give us some final parting words for our listeners and then give us your contact information how we can find out more about you super cool thank you so the um you know i mean as far as parting words I, again i just i just want to reiterate that youth is capable um you know that they're they're more capable of anything that we we just don't give them enough we don't give them enough credit um you know there's this book do hard things that these two young men wrote uh they were two two 18 year old uh, twin brothers and fresh off of running a, a political campaign for somebody in i want to say alabama you know and they talk about the fact that the term teenager was you know wasn't even around until like the 1940s and and how we've just kind of put the youth into this weird box of where now we're telling them culturally like nah you're gonna you know you're just kind of in these weird ages and now this is the time to just kind of goof around and just kind of whatever but we've created an extended childhood where we now have all of these 20-somethings and 30-somethings that are still living at home and still worried about eight hours of video games a day and you know we're doing them really a, a disservice so um, the youth is capable and, and they want to they're wired to take on responsibility and take it on early um, and and that's a good thing and and I want to help perpetuate that so any way that you can help mentor some youth to take on more responsibility um, you know you're ultimately doing them service as a human being. So that would be kind of the lasting thought. And if anybody wanted to see anything else uh, about us, my Instagram, my Facebook, LinkedIn is all just under my name. It's just under Matt Bodro on Twitter. That's uh, it's Matt Bodro there as well. I'm probably most active on, on uh, Instagram and YouTube. Um, you can go there. And then of course, Acton Placer, P-L-A-C-E-R. You can go to our website and go to our YouTube page um, and kind of see what we're up to on a daily basis as well. But both of those are good spots to go. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. We've been chatting with Matt Bodro. You can find out more about him and his ideas that we've discussed today at actonplasser.com. He's also on Instagram and Twitter. We'll be sure to connect all those links on our website as well. But thank you so much for joining the Luminous Mind and teaching us about just important topics, new mindsets and self-directed learning and all that stuff. I really appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. It was great talking with you. Thank you for, you know, shining a spotlight on all this good stuff that's going on. So thanks for everything you're doing. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Music featured in this episode from Scott Holmes. 
To learn more about our podcast, check us out at theluminousmind.net.